Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So today is episode 57. So the last little while has been absolutely mental recording podcasts, and it's been amazing with the opportunities that have come up as well. And I'm really excited for today's guest, Daniel Davey, who... Daniel is the performance nutritionist with Leinster Rugby and is also working with the Dublin Senior uh, Men's Football GAA team as well. He received his BSc in Science from the from UCD and holds an MSc in Nutrition, Physical Activity and Public Health from the University of Bristol. Daniel also played Gaelic football at inter-county level for Sligo and won an All-Ireland Club Football Medal in 2016 with Ballyboden St Edna's in Dublin. He has an amazing new book out, uh, Eat Up and Raise Your Game. And I know several of my clients have the book and I've referred them on to the book because it, it makes the recipe simple. It also has the macros if people are wanting to going down that way because people are trying to get a little bit more educated about what's fueling their bodies. It's an incredible book and it has simple recipes and nutrition information for, for everyone, for everyone that's out there. So Daniel, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. So, Daniel, for anyone that isn't aware of your story, how did and the kind of and how you got into the field of nutrition, all that kind of stuff, how did you kind of want to go down that route? And then also talk about how you kind of ended up doing the the roles with Leinster and the Dublin GAA team. Uh, I should actually be very good at uh, at summarising this, but. Um... It, it, believe it or not, it, it isn't always easy to make the uh, make a long story very short. So, but I, I'll try and be as concise as I can. Uh, I I think um, something that is relevant and that is important is that uh, your environment has a, a massive impact on who you become as a person and and your interests. So, when I grew up, uh, farming and food and sport were were very closely aligned. Um, my grandparents were farmers. My my you know my parents were farmers. My dad worked in the local dairy. So, from a very young age, uh, I developed an appreciation for food, and I also appreciate. I learned to appreciate uh, the value of good cooking. My mother and my grandparents, you know, cooking fresh food uh, every day. So as time went on, um, I was playing a lot of sport and predominantly Gaelic football and you know my dad used to bring me to games and the vision was always and then like my number one thing like every kid talks about playing for Manchester United or you know playing hurling with Kilkenny or whatever it might be it was no different for me um, playing for Sligo that's that's all that I, I wanted to do and whatever it took along the way whether it be lifting bales of hay or uh, even uh, drinking eggs whatever it was that uh, was going to make me um, be a better footballer that's what I was going to do so that was the early stages um, I I didn't actually I wasn't particularly academic uh, when I was in secondary school and to be honest with you I actually only scraped into college uh, into ag science but I was very fortunate that when I got into ag science I realized that it's as much about when I, I mentioned about my environment and how it influenced me I was I was surrounded by people who are um, very bright but um, also topics and subjects that really interested me and from there I learned about food and nutrition um, the production of food and I was playing sport all the time so I was reading on the side uh, about how nutrition could uh, influence performance and I suppose I was very 
fortunate to have friends who were in that space uh, as well and that uh, that allowed me to create good conversation around uh, what to do to perform well in training and to develop muscle mass and to be fit and have appropriate energy levels so um that was the college uh, that that shaped my direction and where i wanted to go and uh, i went on did my masters spent uh, i suppose i spent about four years doing both uh, free internships work experience free talks um, and trying to get as much experience as I possibly could within sport um, to allow me to go on and, and pursue uh, sports nutrition. And back then, there was very, very few people working in the space. So there was a lot of trial and error. I made loads and loads of mistakes, um, but I never stopped working. So I was working in a sports nutrition company, uh, learning about the industry, learning about sports supplements, uh, while continuing to work with teams outside and around it and, and playing football myself. And eventually, eventually the roles uh, both came available with uh, Leinster and Dublin around the same time. And I, I had enough work experience, knowledge, and I guess something that I haven't mentioned before that maybe uh, also was relevant, uh, I had enough confidence to deliver um, well in the early stages and even in the interview to say, you know, I, I can make a difference. I can make a real difference in these environments. I think that's probably the most rewarding part of the whole job is that you can actually make a difference, even if it's something very, very small to someone's daily routine or someone's food, like the book that you have ate. It, knowing the fact that you're having some sort of impact on a daily basis, it must be very, very rewarding. It is, and I, and I suppose um, with time and with experience, uh, you you learn more and more about how to uh, I, I I guess make that impact um, in the quickest possible time, and really uh, personalize your information and understand as well what motivates people. I mean that that's a big thing. So as as your skill set improves and your experience develops uh, you become better at your job and and uh, you can kind of share the the key principles and like you said about the book uh, there's a lot of time there's a lot of effort and thought went into delivering a very simple message that can be implemented uh, on, on, a, on a very broad scale but yeah I mean ultimately that's why we do what we do it like the book is incredible like I, I will praise the book as much as possible because I know my clients have have, have used it and yeah, you're you're working with like elite athletes with Dublin and Leinster but the big thing that even with kind of like general population as we kind of call them with every everyday people is the difficulty is creating and forming habits for those people how do you find forming habits with people at that level do you find it a little bit more difficult than general population or do you find it a little bit easier well I I guess what I do is um, I, I learn from an elite environment, from people who are very, very, very committed and motivated and uh, have incredible intrinsic drive. And what you can do is, again, uh, being open about it, is you can keep pushing the boundaries of 
of of what people can do, and I, and I don't I don't mean pushing the boundaries in terms of supplementation or, or or specific macro tracking or anything like that. It's not like that. It's it's much more. Can you get people to become ultra committed to um, sleeping, uh, going to bed at the same time, and ultra consistent at getting up at the weekend at the same time, and you know. Uh, hydrating as soon as they get out of bed in the morning and and it's it's those type of patterns and those type of habits that you can see when people have that motivation to do them what that brings about in terms of health and performance and I use those reference points when I'm speaking to to the general population and that's what gives you a little bit more leverage within your conversations to say you know what this is the potential outcomes if you're consistent with getting sufficient exercise and and really personalizing your, your nutrition and like exactly like you said layering on those habits to answer your question it's a lot easier working with elite athletes but it's it's also really rewarding to be able to say I have this reference for every other person that I speak to whether that be on social media or that be on a one-to-one -one basis and if you were advising someone that is say Mary down the road or John down the road and they were looking to start out on their own weight loss journey and they were looking to create new habits whether it be getting a little bit more neat or going out for walks or getting into the gym or increasing their protein intake or vegetables intake what would be your advice on kind of creating those habits or how would you kind of kind of target those or trigger those kind of habits for for someone yeah, and I think that's absolutely if you if you're going straight to the heart of it. I mean, that's what we're we're looking to do. That's what we're looking to to achieve. The the first place you always start is with a really simple, straight up conversation about what what's currently happening. What does your life look like at the moment, and what are the sticking points? What are the things within your behavior on a day to day basis that prevent you? Uh, to making sure that you're eating the way you should or getting sufficient exercise. So every single person, and like when I speak at a seminar or I speak to a group of athletes, every single person's pattern is slightly different. People get up at different times, they have different commitments, it can be family, they can be living with friends, they can be living around. There's lots and lots of different things. So you have to understand people's circumstances first. And I always start with between it's between one and five things, but it's never more than that. And if you can build on a couple of things, like I had a really interesting conversation with a friend of mine who's uh, he's coming to the end of his uh, footballing career. Well, in his words, he's coming to the end of his footballing career. There's probably plenty of time to play, more to, to play. But uh, he's a very, very talented guy, but never, 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 never really gave nutrition um, or the habits around training the kind of attention that uh, that he should because he always got away with it but now he wants to change that so like he was asking me about things like um, overnight oats and he didn't even know what oats to use you know he didn't even know what you know is it cooked do you warm it the next day what goes on it he said you know he's heard about it but he knows nothing about it so you take somebody like that who has you know played at a pretty high level for their whole life and yet that's where they're at in terms of their nutrition and to be honest with you there's loads of people like that that's not really unusual so with someone like that all you're doing is helping them to understand 
what's good about overnight oats in the morning? It's a balanced breakfast. It has a combination of protein, fat, and carbohydrate. What the hell does that mean? That just simply means that your energy levels are going to be stable. And if you've trained the day before, you've got a good source of protein uh, that's going to help promote recovery compared to having what he is having normally, two slices of white toast that's not even giving, giving him 10 grams of protein. So he's not recovering, he's not adapting, he's not even giving himself something that is going to keep his energy levels consistent in the morning. So don't, don't go after everything because it'll all fall. So if you can build in a couple of key things, hydrate, have that breakfast consistently, work in on one or two more things, uh, like eating a little bit more vegetables or having a very consistent dinner, whatever that might be, just get that right for the first period and work in phases. I love that quote of don't go after everything, it would all fall. It's That can be applied to, to, to everything. That could be applied to like running the business like we were talking about off air, or it can be applied to kind of starting off on any journey. And so many people, particularly at the beginning of January, we may have overindulged at Christmas. So many people, a lot of people would have overindulged at Christmas and kind of gone out with the kind of all or nothing approach with their diet. And then it's kind of coming up to, I think it's the 14th of January is when it kind of subsides a little bit, when people start to waver a little bit and it's kind of coming up to payday. And kind of, I can feel already kind of the messages, messages that are kind of coming in through DMs and stuff like that the people are kind of having a little bit of a freak out that they they're having the kind of the choice of kind of going out for dinners and stuff like that again and bringing those kind of foods back into it when before when they ne- may not have necessarily had the money because it's a long month from getting paid in january that they may not have had the the the, alter- the, the option to kind of go out for the meals and stuff like that um so i, I, lo- I love that quote uh, I think that's really interesting. Uh, you know, you, you know, you're bringing up the, in particular, the time of year. And look, there's a psychology around that in, in itself. And I don't really want to get into the the, the goal setting and New Year's resolutions. I mean, that's uh, that that's kind of I almost feel like waste of time. But what I do want to say is that you can use it as a as a as a period for some reflection. And I'm going to share a little bit of my own. Um, uh, my own goal setting. So, like I said, it's very personal to everybody, and, and people have different things that they feel that they need to improve on. But mine, without a shadow of a doubt, is is, uh, and I make a joke about this all the time, but it is it is relevant. Uh, is alcohol consumption. So, I really enjoy uh, a couple of drinks, and I don't get particularly bad hangovers. But I do know that based on the recommendations around alcohol, I, I, I'm, certainly not, I, I'm certainly not in the low end when I, when I do drink. But my whole thing this, uh, this year and going forward is that where possible and where, where I can, that I, I drink more moderately in a much more social fashion to enjoy the experience. And that's uh, and, and what I mean by that is that I can still go out. We had a work thing during the week, um, and I went and I I had two drinks, and I had two non-alcoholic drinks uh, with it. So I I would have had probably five or six normally, whereas this time I had two drinks with followed with the the the, the two non-alcoholic, and the experience 
was exactly the same or maybe better because I took that really positive reward from actually doing what I had set out to do. And I think what we often do is, like, if I said, if I said it was a dry January, that's it, I'm not going to drink at all, or going forward, I'm, 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 not, going to, I, I'm not going to put myself in that position at all. Well, that is actually setting you up for a much more difficult task. But if you have some kind of plan in your head, it's easier to follow. And you can apply that exactly to everything related to, you know, whether it be exercise and the different patterns of, of our sleep, all of those things that we mentioned a little bit earlier. It's, I would uh, 100% agree. It's very important to have sort of a, a vision or a goal and kind of work yourself back. So if you have a dress or a suit or something like that to fit into, like the summer is kind of, like people are starting to plan already for kind of weddings and stuff like that in the summer. And if you know you have, say, five months to kind of get into that dress or into the suit or whatever like that, you can work yourself backwards and say, I'm going to try and aim for three gym sessions a week. I'm going to try and get vegetables in every meal. I'm going to try and get a little bit of protein with every meal. I'm going to try and get out for a couple of walks a week, try to get my sleep in check. Like small little things like you've alluded to kind of the five five kind of change kind of five things and try to do no more or else even try to do one at a time so it's 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 really interesting to hear that kind of side of things as well um regarding you, you spoke you kind of alluded to to alcohol there and particularly with people who are playing sports and kind of it can hamper recovery it can hamper performance um how have you got any advice or any go-to substitutes up like you mentioned the non-alcoholic stuff like there are non-alcoholic beers that are that are okay some are, are not great but some of them are okay to taste um but have you got any advice to kind of manage your intake or kind of the hangover how to deal with the hangover the next day any preparation that you kind of put in place well i think we could do the entire podcast on- <laughs> I'll alcohol alone and it is it always comes up I think uh, I, I, I so I'm gonna probably uh, try and answer this in a, in a couple of parts the first thing is that in Ireland we have a culture of of, of alcohol and of shared experience around alcohol and I grew up with that uh, and it was it was a part of my family um in the same way that it, and, and, and part of my sports life professionally and, and even playing the same way that it is of a lot of athletes. And it's entirely about your management uh, and your attitude towards alcohol. Like most of my friends or anybody who would know me would consider me a moderate, a very moderate drinker. But in my mind, because I know how damaging alcohol can be, I know that it's still something that I need to improve on. Even though I might go a month without having a drink, um, I still know when I do drink there's times where it could end up being eight pints. Do you know what I mean? So it's that kind of, uh, those type of periods that I'm talking about managing. So the first thing you have to start with is a little, I mentioned reflection at the beginning, at the outset, it's a reflection on this. So is it something that you can manage a little bit better? And are there things that you can do, first of all, with the total quantity of alcohol that you're consuming? So, like, this all started with me 
I would do little things like if if people or groups were meeting up at six o'clock or five o'clock, I wouldn't join them until eight o'clock, and I would have that type of uh, approach. Then when the big thing around alcohol consumption, if you're looking to to uh, to reduce it, is being solely responsible for as best you can for the amount of alcohol that's being bought. I wouldn't be going into a round of more than three because then you you feel committed. So that's important as well. And if you are in a round, do not be afraid to skip a round. I really, like, I'm being deadly serious about that. Or get a, a soft drink, whatever it might be, to, to, to have a drink um, to manage that. And as time gets goes on, you become more confident in doing that. And you don't have to apologize to anybody. Like, I... I have been a part of the the sports world for for as long as you know I'm I'm in it for for my whole life pretty much and you can manage it. It's just about being confident about doing it. Uh, there's obvious stuff then like not mixing sugar and alcohol as but you know as as much as you can. So if you are having an alcoholic drink, then uh, the clear alcohols, your gin and soda waters, or gin and sparkling water flavored with you know slim lines and things like that is are, are definitely better but ultimately what matters is the is the total volume and the, and the total quantity and your overall attitude towards it uh, so it's it's uh, it's the management of it that definitely needs thought and one tip that i heard about kind of with the the gin nowadays gin is served in those fancy glasses that you That's get right. in the bars and That's if you right. fill that up with either like diet seven up or if you fill it up with water and put it even in the goji berries or whatever it may be, they're not no one else is gonna notice that you're not drinking. So there's yeah. one little substitute. I know yeah. people like ladies who are maybe at the early days of pregnancy have done that in order right. to kind of not tell that like not to be kind of seen and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. the, um and what about kind of the, the, the post um, post kind of drinking session like with the hangover and stuff like that any advice on how to prepare for that or is there any tools and stuff yeah, like I, I guess if you've been really if you're really going into the, the details of it there's no question that you do need uh, you do need to eat before you drink that's that's from you know in preparation for drinking so a, a good meal ne- never don't be stupid and going out drinking uh, on an empty stomach because it will be absorbed through the walls of the stomach quicker uh, and you're going to be dealing with that kind of uh, intoxication a, a lot quicker. Obvious stuff like not mixing drinks. There's no question. You drink if you mix your drinks, you're increasing the the, the toxin load that that your liver is going to have to deal with. Um, and then it's uh, ultimately what, what a hangover is doing is it's increasing a toxin load. It's irritating the lining of your stomach, and it's it's uh, it's causing dehydration so if you can offset dehydration and you can limit the uh, the, the the irritation of the lining in your stomach then you're going to reduce nausea you're going to re- reduce the pain in your head the next day but it is uh, avoiding going for the takeaway um, on the way home um, and having something ready for when you do get home so whether that be I, I normally have a pint of my wadi ready when I come in, uh, I, I'd sometimes well have some little bit of leftover dinner ready so that I I never eat anyway when I'm on the way home, but just having that there um, in case I want to have something to eat. And then the next day, it's about starting the day on a positive note. Some physical activity, rehydration, maybe some uh, electrolytes, 
and then something that again make you feel a little bit better uh, a smoothie poached eggs and some brown and brown toast your overnight oats go for brunch go for a walk coffee tea uh, and, and just trying to to, to uh, offset a little bit of the the calories that you've consumed but um, also trying to increase the the way that your body deals with the toxins by increasing your 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 intake of antioxidants and what about if someone knew that they had a match over the weekends as you deal with um, amateur sports as well as professional sports um, and GAA players in particular if someone knew that they had a match on a Saturday and if they were going out during the week how close to a match would you say for that person if they knew they're, they're going out they had a special occasion coming up and they knew they had a planned how close to the event would you kind of su- suggest or kind of potentially recommend for that person to kind of go out and drink so it wouldn't impact on their performance on the pitch I, to be honest with you, I I don't think that there's any really hard and, and fast rules about uh, about when you drink and when you don't drink because, again, it really does come back to the volume that you drink. I mean, if somebody has two or three drinks on a, on a Wednesday and they've got a game on a Sunday, you know, you, you're going to be okay by the time that game comes around. It is the, if you over-consume, if you binge drink during the week, that is going to compromise your preparation. That's going to compromise your sleep. It's going to potentially even uh, potentially increase your risk of injury, impact your immune system. So there's a lot of different variables that you're 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 thinking about or you're considering that are not just as a direct result of the physiological impact of the alcohol. So it's more about your mindset and it's more about how it's going to affect your your preparation. When I was involved with Valley Bowden, we had a general rule of thumb that you don't be silly or you don't over consume alcohol within 10 days of a game and you don't uh, drink within two nights of training so that was some way of managing your social life or having a social life um, and, and and still not compromising your performance I really like, I really like that um, that tool of the two days of training I, I, that's definitely a point that I'll I will take to the people that I'll be working with over the next little while and you, you, you're you working with GA players you're working with rugby players have like what are the major differences that you've kind of come across from working with both and how they feel their body is one massively fueled by carbohydrates is one massively fueled by protein or how different are they or are they similar so Athletes, there's a huge overla- overlap uh, between any athlete, whether it be a swimmer, a triathlete, a GA player, um, a rugby player. Pardon me. Um, so there's there's a there's a significant overlap in in terms of timing, in terms of preparation, and then uh, then more specifically uh, in relation to the amounts of, of energy that they consume. But it, so everybody should work off the same framework. But then what changes is the 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 amount of each nutrient so for example uh, and i and i suppose so that's that's the framework the main difference between my experience at this moment in time i suppose between you know working in elite ga and working in in uh, professional rugby is 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 simply that ga players are uh, working during the day and have very different types of barriers and constraints on their time so 
they don't get the same level of uh, flexibility. Um, so they have to overcome that. But I suppose if you're talking about the physiology and you're talking about the training, then GAA players are probably covering somewhere in the region of eight to eleven k in in a in an average, you know, in a, maybe not an average, but within a training session. Um, whereas a rugby player, there's more of a gym focus, and there's more of a um, you know, there's more of an up and down from the ground. There's tackling, there's mauling, there's lineouts. There's a lot more set piece, so they're not covering the same volume of work. So the distribution of energy is a little bit different. So you could be looking at a GEA player with an intake of sixty percent of their energy coming from carbohydrate, whereas a rugby player could manage with forty percent, just because of the same kind of load uh, and the volume and the intensity is, is different. That's really interesting to hear about the kind of the carbohydrate, the how they're kind of obviously they're ones ones working a lot on kind of running an awful lot more and the the strength side of things with the rugby players and stuff like that and then but you would some people would think that because the rugby players are a lot bigger a lot larger individuals that they would be on larger carbohydrates in order to to kind of fuel that side of things as well yeah uh, i i and and it, it can honestly depend on the athlete but if I was to review some of the like some of the larger uh, Leinster players' food intake, there's a there's a bigger contribution from healthy fat. Um, and the the other thing that's that that's interesting about it is that you're looking at different time commitments uh, in, in in games. So you know you could have a front row who who most of the time would play fifty minutes. Um, so their overall requirement for carbohydrate it, it, it isn't going to be the same as a GA player play that plays 70 minutes and you know we've seen GA players cover 12k and you know doing over 2k of, of very high speed meters or, or high speed meters so that's that you know it's, it's just about aligning the demands but I suppose just to bring it back to the energy you could see um, both, you know, a, 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 a large Leinster player, you know, 115, 120 kilos, he still needs 4,000 calories. Just how he's getting those calories is a little bit different. He's eating more healthy fats from avocados, nuts and seeds and eggs and, uh, and, and meat and things like that. And in relation to, you mentioned about the GAA players having jobs during the day as well. The, length, the rugby players would be able to potentially get rest in during the day, getting power naps in and stuff like that. In between, their, their, if they may, if they have double sessions and stuff like that, any advice for someone to how to kind of structure their meals or prepare their meals around kind of busy schedules? That seems to be the big problem or the big burden on a lot of people is that they just say I don't have enough time to do this particularly if they have a young family they have kind of a high stressful job they run around like a headless chicken have you got got any advice on how to kind of plan your meal structure your meals do you know what I I, I find and, and uh, this is not what people want to hear but this is the reality this is the reality I work with uh, athletes who have you know they, they, their commitments are huge in terms of game analysis, uh, in terms of families, in terms of their overall training commitments. They own their own businesses, and they can achieve what they need to achieve. You know, it's it is entirely about 
where nutrition fits as a priority in your life, how disciplined and committed and how well organized and planned you are. So it is about time management. And the reality is that that is an aspect of, of professionalism or it's an aspect of an elite athlete's uh, mindset that doesn't come easily and must be practiced and built exactly the same as that, that woman or that girl that's looking to lose that couple of pounds. Uh, it, it is something that needs to be built on. You don't just click your fingers and overnight become like that. So I did a, just as a, I, I did a, a really interesting um uh, event the other night um, with the with the chef, and he took my book, and I had, I, had, I hadn't even thought about it like this, but he took uh, six of the most time efficient recipes out of my book, um, and he prepared them. And the space of, I think, in the space of something like forty minutes, he had uh, he had eight he had eight main meals and four snacks made. Wow. So. The whole argument about time, it really doesn't stand up. It doesn't stand up if you think about creating that time on a Sunday, set an hour aside, one hour aside, when the kids are, you know, put to bed or, you know, you're sitting down to watch, <laughs> I'm going to say Love Island. I was or gonna, you're going to say that as well. You know, it, well, I, I suppose I'm, I'm saying that because I've, 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 I've had that specific experience where somebody said that they don't have enough time to do something, but they were talking ten minutes before that about what you know about Love Island. So, it's uh, it's everybody. You do have the time. It's just about not thinking about doing those twelve meals. Just thinking about doing three and, and building on that. One hundred percent, and it's about priorities um, as well. And if you know that potentially on a Sunday you have a little bit of downtime or you haven't gone out the night before or whatever and you can get your walk in or you have a little bit of downtime before Love Island even comes on even prepare your dinner and just maybe cook a little bit extra for your lunch the next day for work and do it that way and that, that, that could work also for you um, yeah. I think people put it up on a pedestal a little bit that the, yeah I, I, I think they do um, um, I, I always ask people um, because I'm, I, I suppose, what I'm most interested um, in is learning about what other people's main learnings are when they have success. You know, what is the thing that you became enlightened? What, what was it? Because for every person that has an element of success within their lifestyle or within their health, um, there, there are things, there are periods where they, they. they they have to reflect and go, what what was it? And I think sometimes we don't spend enough time doing that. But the, I always get the same answer. It's exactly the same answer. It's, well, it wasn't anything big. It was just that I was consistent with the small things. And you've referenced that a few times already early on. But uh, it's that mindset of understanding how valuable those small things are and, and, and the domino effect. I, I always recommend, people ask me about, about books i always recommend uh, the power of habit as a as a really good starting place i literally have it above my head as we're speaking it's it, I, it's it's so good and I, i'd recommend definitely reading it or else you can get it on audiobook on audible yeah. if uh, if you prefer to to learn that way as well it's phenomenal um and in relation to then you talk about it, a lot of people play sports at an amateur level out there as well and some people 
will be having matches kind of like half 10, 11 o'clock in the mornings on the weekends. And they may not want to eat the morning of a match. And I was one of those when I played football. Uh, my body just didn't want the food. What would your advice or what would your fueling strategy be for that person? It's very common. It's very, very common. Um, and uh, it, again, it's a very simplified approach. And that is that understanding, that understanding that the energy you're going to use during that game is going to be coming from muscle tissue. So it's going to be your glycogen stores. Um, so it's about uh, in advance of that, you know, the day before and four hours out before from 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 that that you're consuming food that allow your glycogen stores to be filled so that if you've got a morning game the day before is absolutely fundamental and then on game day you start with being hydrated and try and achieve your need from carbohydrate in foods that are a lot more palatable so uh, it can be um, apple juice or fruit juice um, and a smaller, much smaller portion. Even things like creamed rice and pancakes can work quite, quite well. Uh, ner- nerves will play a major role, and uh, just the fact that it's morning time and we're not used to eating large proportions of food, uh, that that's going to play into all of this. So the day before becomes really important. And then when it kind of comes to obviously pre-season, the feuding strategy will be very different compared to and a season is there a particular macro split they would work with someone at an, at the elite level on kind of their feuding strategy during this during the season regarding the breakdown of proteins fats or carbohydrates so all year round it's a protein doesn't tend to change all that much and um, you're, you're still going to look at uh, consuming two grams of protein per kg body mass and that's something that I I think it's more about the consistency of hitting that that becomes important um, in the preseason when you're looking to build muscle mass. Is an athlete hitting that? And it's sort of more of a time for review and reflection. So uh, the preseason is is sort of like the New Year's period for the general population because that's when they're goal setting and that's when they're becoming really specific about what they need to achieve so we look to uh, hit about two kilos some some younger athletes might be three kilos of muscle mass between an eight and a ten week period um so very often while it's if there is a an, an aim to reduce total fat mass the major priority is setting an athlete up for the season ahead and what and what the priority there uh, is building muscle mass so getting sufficient energy is your number one priority and I think very often that that's missed I think people don't realize the impact that that can make in your ability to adapt and become stronger and uh, avoid injury um, and people over focus on on reducing calories to, to cut body fat and that that doesn't set you up then for for the season ahead interestingly mid-season for most teams is when you'll see athletes at their leanest and at their best so the key although it's difficult to get into this mindset the key is not allowing your body fat or your fat mass to increase too much in the off season and that's if you say you know what's the biggest thing that's changed in the last five to ten years in elite sport it is that athletes are looking after themselves better in the off season and would you find yourself checking in with the lads when they're on the off season 
they're checking in with me, um, which is what you're looking for. You're looking for them to drive the standards, and you know I've got you know I'm being contacted earlier and earlier every year, um, as people say. I you know I'm, I'm happy with how this year went, but I want to be better next year. So that comes from them. And what about the kind of the recovery side of things in relation to are there certain supplements? Are there certain fuelings? that you could help with people especially at the pre-season start because the ground's a little bit heavier now if the lads are doing the sprints they're also in the they're doing their gym sessions maybe once a week with an snc coach are there particular supplements or is there anything like that that you would recommend regarding a hydration or recovery recovery fueling strategy yeah yeah so uh, again you you reflect on 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 energy macros food quality food timing you make sure that each area is is being hit are are, is an athlete hitting eight or nine out of ten on each area and then you can consider supplementation now standard supplementation during the winter months vitamin d fish oil just to make sure that you're keeping those your omega-3 at a good level that's being linked to good cardiovascular health and production of, of, of hormones for adaptation, again, testosterone growth hormone, and then optimum vitamin D. We, we all know from a well-being, from a health point of view, that being critical. Uh, then, uh, if there are, there's, uh, if you're doing sufficient training, there's uh, some benefit in using some whey protein for making your snacks or from recovery point of view, pre and post gym sessions. And if it's been a tough pitch session, you could use a little bit of whey, that's, that's practical too. Um, and then uh, in in individual cases, and I would say somewhere in the region of thirty to forty percent, um, and that's more on a on a uh, for personal reasons, athletes will use creatine, uh, and that can definitely, if you're a creatine responder, that can definitely improve your ability to recover from from tough sessions uh, and where the volume intensity is high. So that's that's really it. Uh, there's not really much outside of that, that that we would use from a supplementation point of view, but I'd always come back to what can you be consistent with. And would you advise the lads to load with creatine or would you just recommend them with the three to five grams per day? Uh, three to five grams per day. Uh, and, and the reason for that is we don't have a, a particular time point where we're saying, oh, well, we need to be at this level of performance by this date. It's more about being consistent. So my act, they might they might do 10 grams for, uh, for, for a week or so just to, you know, to increase saturation. But uh, generally speaking, it's, it's three to five grams daily and just getting them to consume it. It's just, are you, have you taken it? Have you taken it? Have you taken it? And that's, that's more what the, uh, what the recommendations are so kind of like the this is kind of the second kind of last question is regarding training training a lot of people like general population john and mary down the road will be training in the evenings uh for when they're doing their training their ga training football training we'll be training whatever it may be and they may not be getting off the pitch until like half nine or ten o'clock and they are up early in the morning they potentially don't want to have a massive meal but they know they have to eat after their training sessions how would you advise that person to fuel themselves on a day of training if that's the case would you advise them to kind of have a couple of smaller meals throughout the rest of the day and then kind of have a little bit of whey after the session a little bit of carbohydrates or how would you kind of advise those guys to fuel themselves 
Okay, so the first thing is that you got to look at what the type of the session is. Is, is you know, this time of year you're going to have a, a fairly significant running volume. Um, so anytime you train hard and your RPE, your rate of perceived exertion is above a seven, you you have to refuel. You have to recover. Uh, so your planning is critical up to usually around four o'clock being a very important meal in, in preparation for for training lunch and uh, and your four o'clock meal prepares you gives you that fuel making sure your energy levels are consistent you're hydrated um, you train make sure you stay hydrated throughout the training session and then you've got your two phases in the evening of recovery that you're trying to achieve uh, so the single simplest thing you can do is bring a recovery meal with you and a recovery meal can be banana and, and uh, banana and uh, a, a flavored milk uh, it can be a, a whey shake and, and banana it can be a fruit smoothie you know it can be a couple of pieces of fruit and yogurt as your first stage of recovery but it's having it there that's so important it's not what what should I have that's it's that's less important and thinking have I got it and is it something I've prepared for so having something is, a, is the first protocol and then when you get home uh, you can have something pre-prepared it can be a baked potato with a little bit of tuna and sweet corn uh, it can be a brown bread sandwich it can be some scrambled egg uh, and beans and a bit of toast it can be a pot of overnight oats uh, it doesn't have to be a large meal that will affect your sleep or make you feel uncomfortable. It can just be something that's light. And then the next morning being obviously important then to, to have breakfast and, and recover and set the day off on a positive note. That's brilliant. Um, and so we alluded to the the book. And congratulations on the launch. It's, it's, it's everywhere. And... It, it's amazing it's an incredible book and the, the recipes and stuff like that are very simple and the chef that you were talking about there a second ago proved that as well uh, that he made eight meal, eight, seven or eight meals in 40 minutes yeah, between, between main meals and uh, between main meals and snacks he just I, I, when it, it's funny like obviously he's a chef he's got the skill set but he just picked the quickest recipes to make and he just demonstrated to the group how quickly it could be done and I, I was actually fascinated because I hadn't even thought about it like that but he had it all portioned he said there's your meals for the week and uh, uh, like and he meant main meals and snacks so that was just it was a really good eye opener for me too and where did you get the ideas for the recipes yourself were they out from over time or were they kind of like these are the favourite things that you like to eat yeah, I it's uh, I, I often give people the uh, the insight on the book that I was really worried from the at the end um, because all of the recipes are meals that I eat and I'm preparing and I'm thrown together. I was like, will there be enough variety and variation to uh, allow people to achieve their goals and targets? Because <laughs> they're they're my meals and, and and look that's positive because i know how to make them and i can adapt them and i know that they work um but uh, uh it's it's kind of funny you could have somebody else that would need you know a smaller portion or bigger portions or you know so it's uh it's um it it, it does allow that flexibility but it's uh, yeah there was a there was a lot of trial and error went into it and you were saying it kind of it took a took a while for the kind of the 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 book and the the dedication and stuff and you put into it from from talking off air and stuff like that. So it's it's great to see it must be great to see a finished product out in the shelves now and that's kind of getting the the recognition that it deserves as well. Yeah, 
it's it's good to hear that it's helping people that's absolutely that's really really positive and rewarding and delighted to hear about you know kids trying recipes and vegetables and ingredients that they hadn't tried before um, that was an unexpected positive and uh, just delighted to see it being useful that's awesome um so what's kind of coming up next for yourself daniel website talks any more books coming up yeah, no, <laughs> now for a while I've done my punishment on that but um, I'm working really hard on a, on a new website uh, Davy Nutrition rebranded from Food Flicker thankfully that's been reasonably smooth too um, Expect ex, except everyone is calling me Davy now everyone thinks my name is David um, but uh, I yeah, have a new website that's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it because not only will it have the nutrition information for the recipes but there's a tool on it that will allow people to uh, drag and drop recipes that they like and don't like into meal plans or into recipe plans so um, I haven't I, I'm not aware of functionality uh, like this so it should be it should be a really nice tool when people are planning their meals out like what we were talking about earlier and they've got specific goals whether it be fueling up for a game at the weekend or just putting um putting a a, a a meal prep meal plan type thing in in, in place uh, it should give people that little bit of uh, functionality that that's huge for a lot of people because we spoke about it. everyone's on the go and if they can literally say here's my here's what my goal is if and these are the meals that i i should eat and they're nice yeah. and quick to make that's that's a huge that's going to huge win on that website and any more talks coming up or anything like that um, yeah, I mean, there's. I'll I'll be advertising. Um, uh, I <laughs> uh, there's a lot of stuff happening at the moment. But um, I visited a place uh, that I didn't even know existed uh, yesterday in City West, and they have a, a, an area to do a demo, um, but also a theatre for a presentation. So in the one, so I'm really excited to potentially do a, a session a little bit later in the year where. I combine um, a performance nutrition presentation and then demo a couple of recipes so um, people can uh, look forward to seeing that a little bit uh, later on that's incredible like it's, it's great to see uh, an Irish person smashing it as well and it's it's great that uh, you're it's just great to see someone kind of really really pushing themselves and kind of great to have so much things going on as well with the website the talks the book coming out as well while also working with the, the two teams and everything else that's going on and that we spoke about about all fair so daniel thank you so much for coming on today i really thank appreciate you. it and uh, guys if you've enjoyed the podcast at all please do tag myself and daniel up on your stories and um, as much feedback as possible um and yeah daniel thank you so much for coming on thank you really appreciate it thanks for having me